Well, thank you so much for that, Miss Pam. Um, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. And uh, if you've ever heard me preach before, you know it's not common for me to only preach on two verses. <laughs> uh, normally, I like to do larger chunks of Scripture, but with the nature of us having the Lord's Supper today and with what we're going to be walking through, I felt it was very fitting for us to really look at why John wrote this gospel. Um, and so, and as I said earlier before, uh, I've got a lot of firsts that are happening today. I'm not new to preaching. As some of you know, I'm not new to pastoral care and things of that nature, but just the flow of service and everything, it's, it's, it's uh, a little bit odd for me because I used to be on staff here. So I was used to the way we have done it some, and some things are different and some things may change, but you know, at the end of the day, God's name will be glorified. We will preach the word and we will worship him. Amen. Okay, so uh, if you got your Bibles, um, John 20, 30, or, uh, 30 and 31 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Will you pray with me? Father, we just pray this morning, God, as we introduce this gospel, Father, that you would use your word to both comfort and penetrate our hearts. God, that as we go through why John wrote this gospel, Father, and the importance of this gospel, that we would reflect on our own lives, and God, that we would be drawn nearer to you through this word. And so, Father, I pray as we enter into this series, God, as we walk through the entirety of John together. God, I pray that you would teach us and guide us, correct us, mold us into the image of your son. And God, that you would be exalted in every step of the way. Father, I pray that you'd be with me, Father, as I, as I preach and as I prepare messages. And God, as I seek to lead and shepherd this church, Father, we, we know, and, and as David mentioned earlier in our Sunday school class, God, that you are the head of the church. Jesus, that you are the one in charge. And God, we are, we are wanting to be obedient to you in all that we do. So Father, I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray that you give us guidance as a church. And Father, we thank you for all that you do. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. And so I'm excited uh, this morning to introduce you to this series as we walk through the entirety of John's gospel together. No, we're not doing it in one day. <laughs> uh, when I was first writing this up and I put it on our Facebook page, I kind of thought to myself, you know, maybe it could be kind of taken that I'm going to preach the entirety of John in one sermon. And that is just not possible. So um, a few things as we start this, though, is that we're not going to be just going through the entire gospel of John and every single Sunday. We are going to take some what I'm going to call detours or gas station pit stops. Uh, through some psalms and through some uh, lit wisdom literature. Uh, a lot of what John uh, has in his word connects a lot back to the Old Testament. And um, I find there's a lot of similarities in the way that David uh, kind of talked about his own life in the way that, that John talks about the way Jesus impacted others. And so we will take a few breaks as we go through this, but it's mostly going to be John. And what's great about this series is that it's, this is designed for anyone to jump in at any time. Uh, the gospel of John, I feel like is just very welcoming and opening to all. And it, 
you could read this book a hundred times and still get new things, but you could walk through this book with a non-believer and they would understand what this book is about just from the simplicity and the beauty and the way that John breaks these things down. Um, and so why, why walk through an entire book? That might be something you're asking. I mean, Greenland's not new to that. We've done that before. But uh, the reason why I personally like to do that with a church and as we were going to do this together is because I think it's very beneficial to study the text as a whole. You know, whenever you look at individual pieces of scripture, I think sometimes we miss out on the context of what the whole book gives to us. And when we are allowed to see the entirety of the context of certain passages and to see the reason why the book was written and why maybe uh, what happened a few, ver- a few chapters before impacts a few chapters after, it gives us just a much more appreciation of what's happening in the text. And, and I'll tell you one area in my life that really highlighted that for me is when I was in seminary, um, I was uh, taking my Old Testament course. And in my Old Testament course, uh, they make you read the entire Old Testament in like, I think it was 90 days. Uh, and for some of you, you're like, oh, that's nothing. I've done that faster than that. Well, for me, I had not done that that fast before. So um, I remember reading through the entirety of the Old Testament in that time. And we had to write these discussion board posts about it and all that stuff. But what was really neat was as I was walking through it, in a more, you know, kind of high level view of it, you could really see God's hand working in the lives of so many people and the way that he would work in one generation, how it would impact generations later was so incredibly fascinating. And it was so cool to see the way God was faithful throughout the lives of his chosen people and the way that he brought Jesus in the flesh. And I, I remember specifically, I, was, I, I can't remember if it was here or the church that we served at after here, that uh, a passage came through where it was talking about Jesus' genealogy. And, you know, I think some of us can be tempted to skip through the genealogies whenever we read God's word. You know, we go, oh, it's just kind of information heavy. We don't really need to focus on that. We skip through it or we read it really fast or Uh, we just kind of let our eyes touch the page and not actually pay attention to the names. But I remember sitting in service and looking at the text and as the pastor went name by name by name, I'm not exaggerating, I, I cried. Because to see God's faithfulness in so many lives and so many circumstances, even throughout sin was just incredibly touching because it just made me think of my own life in the way that God has been faithful and has been good to me in both good seasons and bad seasons. And when you reflect on that genealogy, especially the genealogy of Jesus and thinking back all the things that happened that led to the birth of Christ, it's just incredible to see the power and the sovereignty of God. And so my hope is that as we look through this book and look at certain passages that you may be very familiar with, for example, like John 3.16, that you would gain a better appreciation for what the text has to say in the context of what John gives us. The next thing walking through a whole book helps us to do, it helps us not to skip over uneasy parts and parts that maybe seem very information heavy. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And I believe that is true. I believe all of God's text is profitable for teaching and good for our growth. And so as we go through John, we're not just going to hit the highlights. We're going to hit every verse together as a church. And my hope is that you'll see the benefit and in, in, in the beauty of the way John lays these things out in his text. And then lastly, looking at different books of the Bible, they speak to a variety of different issues we face daily. And although our focus won't be on maybe a particular topic or a particular life struggle, the reality is God's word speaks to a lot of different struggles that you and I have. And God's word offers wisdom and comfort and direction through those things. And as we study the book of John, there may be different things that you're going through in your own life that God's word will speak to you through it. And so although we may not have a topical thing that we walk through in John, trust me, there's going to be a lot of things that we walk through in our life that will be touched by this text. And so why John's gospel? Out of all the other books that I could have chosen or, or any of the other gospels, why John's? Well, I, as I was praying through what book to start with, John just continued to come up in my own heart and in my own life. And, and, and part of it is John's gospel is very unique. Um, John's gospel doesn't necessarily fit the same formula as the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, these are called the synoptic gospels, which means that they tell a similar narrative to the life of Jesus. You're going to find very many similarities, similar stories, similar accounts. When you look at those gospels, they act kind of more like biographies and narratives of Jesus's life rather than the way that John has his laid out. And so that's not to say anything negative about Matthew, Mark, or Luke. They are wonderful Gospels. I mean, in fact, for example, Matthew has the Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest chunk of Jesus' teaching that has even impacted some of the, the, the secular teachings of uh, how people treat one another, or the golden rule, like that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And so they are good, they are important, but then there's John's gospel, which is one of these things is not like the other, and that is very much John's gospel. John's gospel is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It doesn't follow the same narrative formula of the others. In fact, most of John's gospel takes place later on in Jesus's life, really close to his death and his resurrection. But here's a couple of things that kind of set John's gospel apart. First is John's gospel is a little bit more theologically rich. There's a lot more theology that John wrestles with and teaches on more than the other Gospels. That's not to say there isn't theology in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but that John is a bit more heavy-handed in that, in his theology. The second is that John's Gospel tells of seven different signs that show Jesus' divinity. And the thing about those different signs is that each and every one of them have It seems on the surface level, Jesus is doing one thing, but if you look at them deeper, there's something entirely more for us to explore in each of those signs. It's one of those things where you could study these different signs over and over and over again and continue to learn more things each time you unpack them. Like I said earlier, this gospel takes place much later on in Jesus's life, the vast majority of it taking taking place and towards the end of his life. And also John's gospel gives us one of the most clear gospel statements in John 3.16, probably one of the most popular Bible verses of all time. 
So why did John write this gospel? This is going to be our text for this morning. Why did he write this gospel? And so it says this, Now Jesus did other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the key idea of why John wrote this gospel. This is it. So that you may believe. And just in these two verses, he has a lot to teach us. The first is that John was very specific with the things he picked to be in this gospel. He recognizes that there are things that Jesus did. He did other signs to show his equality with God, to show his divinity, but John didn't record them all in his gospel. Why? Well, one, John's a big fan of sevens. We're going to notice that as we walk through this book, there's going to be this reoccurring theme of sevens happening throughout this gospel. But the next is each and every one of these signs teach us something different about Jesus and teach us something different about God. And John has intentionality behind what he included. They're important. And so that's not to ignore the other signs and other miracles that we see maybe in some of the other gospels, but John has intention behind what he's teaching us. And the second thing that he'll teach us is that we are to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. If you could summarize the Gospel of John in one word, you would say believe. And this word is repeated all throughout the Gospel of John. He uses this language over and over and over again in this text. And this belief goes beyond just accepting what happened is true. Because that's the way we use it in our own world, right? We, we use the word believe as a way to say we accept something is true or we think that might be possible. For example, you know, this morning uh, I had a cereal. I had a, a, not a box, but a bag. And, and uh, I, you know, I don't know necessarily what's in that bag, but I believe that there's going to be cereal in that bag, right? Or when you go into the grocery store and you buy a box of rice or something, you, you, you believe, okay, there's going to be a box of rice in there. But that's not necessarily what, what John means by believe, right? This, it's, it's, it's a much deeper word. The word believe in the Greek is pistuo, which means to trust or to put one's faith into something or someone. So this, this believe isn't just accepting, oh, there's going to be cereal in the box that I buy, and I hope it's not like a snake or something like that or some random prank from a kid. Or this isn't just thinking, oh, well, John wrote about Jesus, so, you know, I think it's got to be true, right? And so, yeah, I'll, I'll say that Jesus did all these things, but it's, it's deeper than that. It's, it's, it's more life-changing than that, because if you truly trust in Jesus, that means that it's going to change everything about your life. It means you're going to seek to be obedient to him. It means that when he tells you something and to do something, that you're going to do it. It also means, too, that there's, there's, there's eternal implications of what happens with us in terms of what we truly believe to be true. And so we are to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, but not only are we to put our faith and trust in him as the Messiah, but we're also to put our trust that, that he is God. You know, we looked at, when I came in view of a call, Philippians chapter 2, when he talks about, that he didn't count his equality with God as something to be grasped. But the reality was, although he didn't use that to his advantage, 
while he was here on earth, Jesus is God. And when we look at next week, the beginning of John, what we're going to see is we're going to see how the, the Trinity worked even from the very beginning in Jesus's role in that, even all the way in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised Savior for you and I, and he is God. And so he tells us that he writes these things so that we may believe, that we may believe and put our trust in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. And then he ends it with this, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What does he mean by this life? What does he mean by having life in him? Aren't we alive now? Don't we breathe? Don't we eat food? Don't we experience the world? What does he mean by that when he writes this to people? Well, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. And in the beginning, when God created him, Adam and Eve, and they sinned against him, they eventually perished and died. And now we're all going to physically die one day, but, but the death that, was, that we, we talk about here that's talked about in Scripture is more of a spiritual death. It's a death away from God forever, eternally being separated from Him for all time. And so when I think about a passage that I feel like encompasses that really well, I think of Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 as we look at this text together. And I forgot to put this on the screen. I apologize. But my hope is that you have your Bible here today so you can look at it and see for yourself. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says this. And you were once dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is our condition. Paul says that we are dead in our trespasses, that we are dead. This is very fitting language to what we see in the text. When, when, when John says the reason why he writes this book is so that we would Believe in him, and by believing, we would have life in his name. Why do we need life? Because we are dead. We are dead in sin, eternally separated from God because of our sin and our brokenness. And there's nothing that we can do on our own to reconcile that relationship with God. The Bible teaches that our, our good works are like dirty rags to God. And if the reality is, it's sin is not something that we just learn, we inherit. If, you ever have, if you've ever had children, you know there are things that they do in their young age that you did not teach them, but they do on their own. You don't teach them to lie. You don't teach them to, to sin. It is something that is, that, is, that is in them because of their broken human condition. But we are not left to die in our trespasses. This is what he says next. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in 
Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand and we, that we should walk in them. This is why John wrote this book, so that you may believe. And so as we study this book, my hope is the same as John's, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, worthy of all worship and praise, and that you would submit everything in your life to him. And I'm going to close with this as Ms. Pam comes up for a time of invitation. For those who already trust in Jesus, for those who already have a relationship, relationship with him, for those who would call yourself a Christian, my hope for you is that you'd be drawn closer to God as we study this text.